In this episode of EQ of Love IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Healing the Inner Child, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Carrie Yazid. Uh, she is a qualitative researcher, cultural critic, and best-selling author whose focus is women's issues. A former mental health therapist, she now uses her gifts and talents to bring awareness to workplace issues that impact the performance of marginalized and minority women. And boy, we need a lot of people like her in this world. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Ah. It is such a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to meet with little me and give my audience an opportunity to get to know who you are. So if you could tell my audience about you and what you do and your purpose in doing it, let's, uh, let's start it out that way. Oh, okay. That's a, you know, that's a loaded question. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So my name is Dr. Kiri Yazid, and I am, I would just say like, I'm just a connoisseur. I do a little bit of everything, but by day, I am a qualitative researcher and I specialize in DEI work and in qualitative research and DEI, I am the person that goes in and collects the stories. So I'm like the story collector mm. and I get the the real nitty gritty of what's going on with employees and um, in, in the workforce and what they see as being the real issues. A lot of times corporations tend to only focus on leadership, but the people who are really having the issues are usually your frontline workers, your middle management, underrepresented groups, groups that come from diverse backgrounds, and no one ever captures their story mm -hmm. so that's what I go in and I do I'm also a best-selling author so I have two anthologies that were bestsellers but overall I've written about seven or eight books I kind of wow. lost count wow and by by night I'm a retired high girl so <laughs> <laughs> oh so I, I have <laughs> <laughs> so I have <laughs> yeah, I have a blog that's called A Retired High Girl, and I talk about all things that pertain to embracing midlife, because I found that a lot of us, especially um, women from diverse backgrounds, we get lost in the conversation when it comes to those, you know, discussions about like menopause, mm. if you're single, what does dating look like for you, your aging body, like... And then the representation didn't look like someone who was, you know, in actually, she didn't look like she was someone who was in, you know, midlife. And so I decided that I wanted to make a change to, to that. And so that's where I just jumped in and said, hey, look, you know, I, I'm going through midlife. Let, let's have a conversation and I'll educate people along the way. I'm not an expert, but let's figure this thing out together. So that's what I do in my free time is I blog um, on it's a retired high, a retired high girl. I love that title because <laughs> it describes me too. <laughs> I love that title. I listened to I listened to the episode that you uh, put out. This last, this last week, and it, it just resonated with me so much. Uh, I'm in that midlife uh, uh, change myself, and we got to have more conversations about what that looks like. You know, I happen to uh, happen to have um, PMDD, and that is not fun. And that crept up on me just after having my son, and I was a late person having children I didn't have my children young which is traditional so it, yeah it does all kinds of things to you and it, it really does it really does and so I uh, you you I've tried supplements for hot flashes and now I'm just like you know what let's let's just let nature take its course I'm just gonna thug it out on these <laughs> 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 And none of this stuff is working. And <laughs> like, no. Oh my gosh. 
Well, you know, I think some of the times the reason what why it doesn't work is because as a woman of color, as a black woman, our health in all areas are not prioritized. It wasn't until 1993 that we were actually part of research for a National Institute of Health. I mean, where it was required mm-hmm. that we are for different pharmacy drugs and, and research before it was just, you know, cis white males. And let's, let's hope that medication works for everybody. Cross our fingers. <laughs> yeah. And so, and normally it does not. So. No. no, it does not. We're just like all of us, it's just, you know, it's got you, you know, let's, let's cross our fingers and hope it works like everything yeah. else. No, no, yeah. normally it does not. It does not. So that has been a um, running issue with me as far as like just, you know, realizing, and I think it started with me um, when I was diagnosed with type two diabetes last August mm. and didn't realize that where I was going for healthcare was a for-profit hospital clinic. And so my health was not being prioritized. And, you know, to tell, like, I had to look at the levels and say, okay, this doesn't look right. And then message the doctor and say, you know, we're in COVID and say, does this mean that I I have diabetes? And she's just like, oh yeah, you just need to change your lifestyle. (laughs) So then going back to the computer and saying, ma'am, what does change your lifestyle mean? Like, that can look a lot of different ways. And her not really giving me any information. And, and to her credit, she was a young African-American doctor. But again, we were in the middle of COVID. Mm. I later found out she was pregnant. Mm. My health was not her first priority. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. so I had to make my own health my priority. And so really diving in, learning about diabetes. But as I was sharing on Instagram, starting to realize that a lot of my family and friends were just as clueless as me and they had been diabetics longer than me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, no, no, no. We've got to fix this. Like, yes. And so yeah. I'm the fixer. And so that's, that's kind of, I think, where a retired high girl came from, where it was birthed from, was, was just having that health health scare take place and then just realizing all the other things that women my age were not comfortable with were not knowledgeable about and you know and and they're keeping their doctor appointments but no one's if they have a question they're realizing their the their questions are being glazed over and I was just like Mm. it's me you know and and I'm I'm no healthcare expert but I get but you are a doctor you have your doctorate. So well, well, I have I have my PhD, but it's in higher education leadership and research. So well, well you still get to use it. But, right. That's what and look, that's what my girlfriends would say. Look, you went to school, we're about to put it to use for something. You're about to help us out. So they're like, you're the research queen. You go figure it out and then come back and tell me what I need to ask the doctor what I need to be doing. And so it's just like, it's become like a community for us, really. Right. Well, I love it. And it's definitely something that we need as a community. So, you know, just having people go in and and recognize how disenfranchised um, African-American women are in the medical system is so important because it's a long time that this has happened. And I had it happen living in Amsterdam. I've had it happen definitely when I lived in the US. And I got to the point and I read this article, they said, ask them to chart your request and ask them to chart their denial. Can you please write down that I requested that this test be done and that you denied it and your reasoning why? Mm -hmm. They really are quick to reevaluate what, what they just said, because they don't want it to be in on paper that they denied mm-hmm. a, a logical request. And then they make fun of women that walk in, particularly uh, Black women walk in kind of with this 
arsenal of information and say, oh, well, you're a Google doctor now? I'm not, I'm not a Google doctor, but I know how to read case studies. And if I read a case study that you should have read about my health of my community, you know what I mean? And then the possible medications or possible treatments, you should give me respect for the fact that I can read just like you. I was married. Exactly. I was married to somebody like that. It's, oof. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, that's, we have to do that. And I actually learned that practice from a, one of my earlier physicians. She was the older African-American doctor mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, I just love when you come in because you have like your notebook and you have your questions and you kind of have an idea and then we can sit down and have a conversation. And I said, everybody doesn't do this. And she said, no, and they should, and they, they really should. And so she would actually sit down, but she would be so happy that mm-hmm. I, I was taking an initiative. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes she would come in and she'd say, okay, so what do you think is going on? Like, I know you did, <laughs> tell me what you think. And so I would tell her, and she'd be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm right then. And she said, well, you know, I'm thinking this. And then she would tell me why. And she said, but let's look at both and let's see who's right. And so she would have a series of tests ran or whatever, but was real just down or she didn't rush you out. Like, you know, now they have like they're they in and out in 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, you can't examine anybody in 10 Honey, she will pull up the chair, sit down and be like, well, how you doing? How the kids doing? And that <laughs> makes you feel relaxed. That actually, that is a huge part of emotional intelligence. You know, there, there is an aspect of energetically passing on your, passing on your healing. You know, you're yeah. passing on the healing because what you're, what you're giving out is caring. And then that person is receiving that. And that, that just changes all the chemicals. Oxytocin comes online and it's all healing. It's all healing. So anyways, I love that. I love, love your blog. Okay. So tell me, I want, (laughs) I love that you are working with people from, I wouldn't say the bottom, but uh, frontline employees on the way up. What have been the obstacles that you've had to deal with doing this type of work? And how did, how did you handle it in an emotionally intelligent way? I would say the challenges are, have never been with the frontline workers themselves, mm-hmm. that they are usually very grateful that someone is willing to listen to them because no one has ever asked, how do you feel? You know, tell me your side of the story. It it has always been told to them, this is how you feel, but no one has ever asked, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? What changes do you think will will work? I mean, because they're the ones that are there. Mm -hmm. Usually I found that my challenges come with management, um, upper management. As a, uh, a Black woman, how dare you charge us that you're supposed to be doing this for free? And it, mm-hmm. it could be like a you know, multi-million dollar corporation. Mm-hmm. I'm still supposed to come in and provide the majority of my services for free. Mm-hmm. Um, my intelligence is undermined, even though I have three degrees And two of them are, one is in psychology, one is in social work. So I am a human-based provider on top of having a PhD in higher ed um, leadership and research. So Mm -hmm. really, I I know what I'm doing. I'm qualified to come in and do the work that I'm doing, but still having my intelligence challenge or when I see that their process could work a little better and Mm -hmm. I'll offer my input watching even as a consultant how I will be shut down Mm. and then five seconds later someone else on the virtual call in the virtual room will say my idea what I just said and everyone is just like oh that is just great that's Mm. and I'm just sitting there like are we serious Mm. what we're doing Mm. and I think the 
biggest challenge I've had is the misogynistic behaviors of not just white men, but black men as well, who have felt that I'm overeducated, um, that I'm too independent, that I'm too outspoken. Once in the middle of a, a meeting where I was being asked to do all the work, and I was trying to explain that I don't think we're going to get anywhere if we don't start to deal with the internal issues or the biases and the microaggressions that I am experiencing mm. as the only black woman that's in this room mm. and being told to shut up. And, wow. and it wasn't a, a nice professional way. It was, you need to be quiet. I'm speaking. You've had your turn to talk. We don't want to hear from you anymore. Wow. You know, I, I've been in those situations. I've had an agency to that I had a contract with that to bring me in to reprimand me because of the amount of my proposal that, that I was charging them for my consulting work to mm -hmm. say, how dare you? Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I, you know, it was kind of like, well, excuse me, like, can you explain, you know? So how do you, how do you handle that? Like, because we got that angry black woman trope always hanging over our shoulders, ever heads, and you know, if we go off, it's a problem. Like, you know what I mean by go off, you know, even though we're not going off, we're rightfully expressing our anger, frustration, or disappointment. But because that is an ever-present feeling, and I remember being in corporate America, so I know what you're talking about. How do you handle it? How do you self-regulate? And so I don't. Um, <laughs> because the first thing that I remind them is that I am a consultant. So mm -hmm. I am not an employee of your organization. I work for my own company. You mm -hmm. hired me because of my expertise and because of my qualifications. Okay. Second of all, even if you choose not to listen to me, you signed a contract and you are going to pay me every dime that you owe me or we're going to duke it out in court. Mm. Thirdly, you are, I, I am charging you this amount because I am worth every penny. I mm. know my worth. And mm. as the one who had brought me in to reprimand me, I said, you know, like, just like you're sitting on this call and you're reprimanding me, you're, you're being billed for this. So you can reprimand me for as long as you want. You will get a bill. Mm. But then I'll go a step further and I will say, now moving forward, let me tell you what we are not going to do. Mm. You are not going to disrespect me as a educated Black woman who was hired to come in and to mm. fix the problem that you have. You are not going to talk to me any kind of way. Matter of fact, you don't know how to talk to me anyway. So I don't want to deal with you anymore. You're not the only person in the company. I'm removing you and someone else will be my point of contact. Mm -hmm. You can no longer contact me. Mm. Well, I want to tell you something. You did regulate yourself and you regulated the situation because... You express what your needs were. You held the person accountable. You didn't lose your grace and professionalism, but you were direct. And that is something that a lot of people think emotional intelligence is sitting there being this Zen person and ohm and, you know, very soft. You know, that's, that's ideal to a certain extent, but there are right. times where the person that you are dealing with, usually a very narcissistic person, right, cannot hear you in this way because they see it as a weakness. They see exactly. your grace or they see your um, calm as a weakness as you're afraid to speak up for yourself. So I always tell people, you have to show the self-love and self-worth, a love that you said, you know what you're worth, in order to make people respect you. 
you have to teach people to respect you or they will not respect you. And especially for uh, black women, we have a very long history of being disrespected. And uh, I, I have you heard, a, we were talking about bell hooks when we had a brief conversation. And you know, I, I didn't read the book that you told me, but I started listening on Audible again to Ain't I a Woman. And man, if, if audience, if you have not read this book or you don't know who Bell Hooks is, you know, you gotta go, you gotta get her work. You have to read her books because she is so eloquent in how she breaks down the historical aspects Basically, she's the O-G-D-E-I. <laughs> you know, and if you don't know what D-E-I is, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that it, it can mean, it can mean culturally, it can mean um, race, it can mean orientation, sexual orientation. It's a broad, broad spectrum. And it's something that, I, you know, I, I do as well. Gosh, uh, so thank you for that beautiful example of how you did regulate because you could have that could have gone a whole different way. You know, You're right, You're right. It could it could have. And I think that at the end of the day, when I walked away from each of those situations, I was still labeled as an angry black woman, yeah. even though. You know, the only elevation in my tone was the firmness mm. of I, I am very serious. Like you've signed like this is these aren't conversations taking place before we sign the contract. Mm -hmm. These are conversations taking place after everybody's put their name on the dotted line. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how you feel about me, you're still going to pay me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I back away just because you saying some ugly stuff about me, you still need to pay me. And the reason why that person is triggered is because you have revealed a truth and they have been found out and the the illusion of who they thought they were either as an individual or as a corporation has dissolved. And here is the truth. Here is the reality you have work to do exactly like my thing is i, I was brought in to girl my dog decided to act up now we, <laughs> we have we having dog issues <laughs> yeah this this is this episode has been just fraught with dogs scratching loudly and they absolutely do. And it's in scientifically proven, you know, a companion pet can help alleviate uh, depression and um, lift your spirit, especially for the elderly. I wouldn't call us elderly yet. But, um, you know, uh, I also am the mother of a young child, though. So sometimes I'm just like, why did I get a dog? This is too much work. It's like another child. <laughs> they are. They are. But mine's like they are. Um, I have two. And so they're constantly when I, when I'm working in my office. Um, they're in here with me and it's, it's funny because now they can recognize certain voices and so they'll just kind of I'll see them actually listening to the conversation and if they see that I'm I'm triggered or I become upset how they'll move closer to mm -hmm. me but it's just like well we know not to disturb her because we're we're working and if any of my kids like are home and it's not a time that they're at home and the kids are like well why aren't the dogs doing? And I'm like, look, we're on a schedule. This is work time. So they're in the office and their work is they're stressed out and they're listening to the conversations taking place. Like that's their job. <laughs> okay. The garden mom, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, they know what they're supposed to be doing. Leave them alone until our work time is over. They understand sometimes better than children. Uh <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I think that when those situations that you, that we were just talking about and I brought up bell hooks, 
in particular. The world has to really awaken to the reality of what is right now. Yes. You know, these, these issues that we have had, um, these divisions are perpetuated for a reason, on purpose, to keep us in a certain energetic field of uh, stress, uh, fear, scarcity, all these things are set up purposely because when we're in those states, we're less likely to, to unite. Um, yeah. And that misogyny piece, wow, patriarch piece, wow. You know, I, Bell Hooks brought up something and it made such sense. Okay, my quick little story. I, uh, I got the city of Chicago sent me an uh, RFP for my books. Now I'm, I'm a solo deal, you know, I got, I'm a little small shop. So I was like, whoa, cool. I have never done an RFP. So <laughs> I was like, and then I'm looking through the paperwork. I was like, why the government gotta make everything so complicated? Just, just, just tell me how many books you want. Just, I will invoice you and let's call it a day. But there's like 15 million different forms. So I go looking over my business plan, which I do have. And I start looking through the different segments. And I say, you know, I think I got some things missing here. So let me hire somebody to just look it over, you know, clean it up, do, do these things. Bell Hooks mentioned in her book that the African men and African woman dynamic is not what I believed it was. You know, one of the things that I always was hopeful for was that in Africa, Black women were more respected. That was not the case. <laughs> we are in Africa, we're not respected. And the reason why this correlates so much is that the man that helped me was from Africa, African Black man. I clearly filled out the questionnaire, said where my industry was. Do you know that he sent me back, you know, part of your uh, business plan is research to solidify what you do. He sent me back a business plan that had daycare as my industry. I said, where does it say daycare on any of my industry? He's giving me all these kinder care. It's like, I, 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 I regulated myself. <laughs> but I told him, you are revealing your bias. And he says, well, I'm in Africa. And I said, you are revealing your bias as an African man. As a black woman, just because I work with children and children's books, and education, I'm an educator, first of all, and I work in e-learning and I work in these areas, I'm an author. So where did you get daycare? Not that I'm knocking daycare people, but my questionnaire clearly said, he's my competition, where did you get that? And, and he apologized profusely. I said, I, you know, I, I want you, to dig in deep and ask yourself why you assumed, assumed instead of clarified what direction I wanted to take. You were unsure and you just automatically say, okay, she's a woman, she's black, she's a, that's insulting, quite frankly, but it's so, it's such a norm. And so her book, she breaks it down and she talks about that dynamic brought from Africa and reinforced with uh, European patriarchy. And then <laughs> how black women in particular are always at the bottom, but they do most of the work. They do most of the work and they're usually the most educated. Now that's, that's a, that's a, that very valid point. They're doing most of the work and they're usually overeducated. You know, the disrespect that, what, you know, what would you call 
that? What would you, what, what's the underlying reasoning, do you think? I've got my theories. I want to know why you think that is. I think it goes back to, as far as Blacks in America, African-Americans who are descendants of slaves, I think for us, when I look at how we are devalued, I think it stems from slavery and what was the value of a Black woman as a slave? I think that those ideologies have carried through throughout the years and they still show up in different ways and that the a white woman is still valued more than a black woman, that a black woman is only seen as property. She is only seen as being able to produce certain outcomes like she's and as you know, being domesticated, working in a house, doing certain duties. We are not seen as being educated. We are not seen as being soft. Mm -hmm. We are not seen as being feminine. Mm -hmm. We are not even seen as being beautiful. And mm -hmm. so when, when you think about those characteristics, but then you think about them in terms of slavery, the Black woman and the white woman is constantly being compared, but the comparisons is way off. Like we are not seen in the same light as she is being seen. And that is by both Black and white men. It's mm -hmm. not just white men. That they haven't taken us out of the context of slavery. Mm -hmm. And that has followed us throughout, throughout the years. So we're still expected to do all of the work. Mm -hmm. um, to not look pretty when we do it, sometimes to be angry and, mm -hmm. you know, disgruntled and you're just, you're not grateful, mm -hmm. you know, when you're doing mm -hmm. it, but then you really are the most knowledgeable because you've been doing it for so long. Like, you know how to maneuver, you know how to bring in other people to help you where it looks like you might be carrying a full load, but you got a couple of sisters back here that's just like, hey, you gonna throw me few dollars girl you're gonna babysit my kid I, <laughs> I got you like so we know how to how to work through certain situations how to maneuver how to pivot but mm. we're never given credit for all of that and that's not associated with us being smart intelligent that's not associated with us being able to manage big mm. projects small projects we're never given that much credit but again I think it stems back to how we were viewed in slavery and that lens never changing for mm -hmm. us in society. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, as the mother of an African-American son too, I always find it very interesting that Black men in particular right now blame us for so much. And one of the things that they hear is like, oh, well, my mom abused me and my mom, you know, was rough and all these things. And I, I always say that's possible because being African-American woman, we have to play both roles. Was your father there? Usually the answer is no. And, and this happens with white men too, because I'm in that particular situation where, you know, my, my son's father is Caucasian. And let me tell you, the same language is there around their insecurity that you are doing these multiple things and are capable, but they can, they can have whatever behavior that they want. So, you know, with my son, I, you know, I talk and he goes, okay, mom, I heard you. Okay, mama. I said, are you sure you heard me? Because behavior is still going. What can I, how can I say it so that you get it, that you understand, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. And because obviously how I'm saying it doesn't work until my voice gets a little bit higher, a little bit more pitchy and a little bit more strong. And I don't really want to go there. I, I want to be peaceful. I want to say, I want to say, hey, son, I need you to put your plate away. And I'd really like this to be the last time I ask you to do it. This, mm -hmm. this is not new. This has been happening for a long time. And I, I understand with child development that it, it takes a lot of repetition for certain children. 
um, in that fear, man, fear is always the promoting thing. You could get things done, but the stress and the broken, the breaking of the relationship. I know that as African-Americans, we have so much pressure on us for survival. And that stems back to, to slavery. How do you think we can change that? How do you think we can repair that historical generational trauma right now? Well, I think part of it for us is that we have to, especially as Black women, we have to use our voices. We have to realize that we had a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've talked about this in some writings that I have on, on my website, that society has led us to believe that we don't have a voice. And so therefore, we have all of these self-help gurus who don't look like us mm-hmm. that need to teach us how to find our voice and then use our voice. Mm-hmm. For Black women, we need to realize that we never lost our voice, that we have our voice and that we are very capable of using it. Yeah. We've just been silenced for so long because of hearing you're an angry Black woman or you're disgruntled, like hearing all the negativity, we just choose to remain silenced to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. But I think for us, in order for us to start to begin to break those generational barriers, it means that we need to start using the voice that we have and using it in a way that allows people to understand our stories, what we're going through, what we need, what we're going to tolerate, what we're not going to tolerate. And also being okay with that sometimes the negative comments might come that doesn't mean that you're a negative person. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. As a matter of fact, what it means is that you've made some people uncomfortable because of the uncomfortable conversation that you're having, but that conversation needed to take place. And you might be the first person, the first woman having that conversation with them so they don't know how to handle all that you're bringing to the table Mm. my thing is you don't you don't hold back what you bring to the table you bring all of yourself to the table I'm like you bring all of your blackness you bring all of your ethnicity you bring it all to the table you use your inner voice, you speak your truth, you talk about your worth as a woman and you don't back down, you don't back down. And I think if more of us did that, we will begin to see the changes that need to take place. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we are allowing to happen in the black community, and it, it's not just in America, I think it's, it's worldwide, is that we are allowing these white women and women like Brene Brown, Cheryl Sandberg to come in and tell us that, you know, we got to use your soft inside voice. Mm. And, you know, you, you can't ruffle feathers and that, you know, it's okay to just take it all off and to lean in. The thing is, we have to know when to lean in. With us, is all about the timing. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have to be strategic in what we do. Mm-hmm. We can't function like they function and you just somebody make you mad right then and there. You have to know the time, the place, mm-hmm. have it all planned out. Well, Black women do that very well. Yeah, you're describing hypervigilance. You know, unfortunately, hypervigilance is a part of our, in our DNA right now, you know, so... I agree with you about, I, you know, I've been looking for reading about, you know, different people other than um, we discussed a little bit before. I call it white psychology um, because, because it is geared towards white people because those were the research uh, subjects and the humanity has just been granted to us not too long ago to have emotions, to have feelings, you know? And like you said, they're always on the, the, in the negative sphere. Oh, we're always tone policed. And I, and this also happens with people who are untraveled. 
my, me and my son were laughing the other day because we were reminiscing about our trip to Morocco because I was telling him something and uh, he said something back and he goes, you're tone policing me. And I said, am I tone policing you? You just sound, you sound like this or that. He's like, yeah, because I talk him about tone policing. You know, I said, other, other cultures have a different way to talk. I said, remember in Morocco, they, they, they were being nice to us and we were like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like that, that tone is because we're so conditioned by slavery, by cultural norms, that this is the way to be. So we don't intimidate or trigger fear in them. So we never get to be our authentic selves. And if you go to Africa, if you go to Morocco, if you go to Egypt, that tone is completely different. It's completely different and nobody's offended. Matter of fact, if you don't talk a little bit more forceful, they think something's wrong with you. Oh, I, you know, one time I was told that Americans smile too much. <laughs> I said, oh, cause I'm smiling. I, I happen to just be happy right now, but excuse me, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's all culture. It's all culture. So yes, we need to be able to use our voices. We need to be able to express ourselves. And you're absolutely right. And we also have to let go of that fear around it. Yeah. 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 Um, what is, I always ask this question, what is your self-care routine? Oh, my self-care routine looks like working out in the morning, at least walking one to two miles a day if I can, waking up at 5.30 so that I can see the sunrise, uh, hear the birds chirping, and nothing else is moving. So mm -hmm. my neighbors aren't up. There are no cars on the road yet. It's just the, the, the peace of nature as everybody starting to wake up, so to speak. That's like my favorite time of the day. Um, reading, sitting out on my porch and, and soaking in the sun. I tried not to work very hard in my, my older years and just enjoy the world that is around me. Um, mm -hmm. Now I do, I have a thing for, for shoes and fashion. So because um, <laughs> you're, because you're a retired hot girl. You're a retired yes. hot girl. You can't. I'm a retired hot girl. So I'm going to be on this internet, in these internet street shopping. I might not be in the actual <laughs> store, but I will be online burning up a credit card buying cute outfits <laughs> uh, to, to sit on my porch and look cute. So in 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 cooking, I love to I love to cook, which is wasn't always a thing for me. But again, as you get older and you're more taking your health, you're more in charge of your health, putting, knowing what's going inside of my body. So being more active and, and cooking and trying different things. And this whole sitting in the house for the quarantine got me back into plants. So that was something that I had with my parents. Mm -hmm. um, so discovering that some things I don't have a green thumb <laughs> and I need to just stick to like Ivy's. Uh, Ivy is not going to die. I don't care what you do to it. Like, <laughs> poor plants. Poor plants. Yes. yes. But trying, trying different things in life, that has really been just that, that makes me happy. It helps me to relax and not getting caught up in the hustle and bustle. Like, knowing that that's not where where the the joy is the joys and the calmness and taking life slow and just taking it all in and enjoying just the little minor details that you sometimes miss when you're rushing mm, that's yes uh, just being able to breathe you know that's mm -hmm. that's something, something we don't allow ourselves to do align with ourselves and the universe and the energies of that universe. I'm a spiritual person all about that universe and, and Buddha stuff. So 
gosh, well, time is running out. I know you have other things to do and I have other things to do, right? Jumping right into another interview. So I just want to thank you, Carrie, so much for being you on thank you. You brought so much value to the listeners. Um, just hearing your journey as a, a Black woman, how you handle yourself, how, how you embrace yourself is so important because it's a lesson not just for African-American or Black people, it's a lesson for everyone to truly just embrace, love, and have compassion for yourself because you I matter. Agree. You matter. I, and I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for having me and for, you know, giving me an opportunity to speak to, to your audience. And tell, every, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, drop a couple of names of your books because I'm very curious too. And tell them where they can find you. Well, you can, you know, for the, the nine to five professional qualitative researcher, you can visit my website, drkiriazid.com. Um, now, after five, the retired high girl, you can head on over to a retiredhighgirl.com and <laughs> That is like a weekly newsletter, but if you go to the site, you get to see all of the past posts. I also do um, short little informational podcast segments where I just share tidbits about things to help us get through midlife. And on social media, I'm very active on LinkedIn and but that's the professional side of me and everything else that I do, you can follow me on Instagram. And, and also Twitter. And again, on all platforms is drkiriyazid.com. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you. What a great interview with uh, Dr. Kerry Yazid. She was so fun. And she also pointed out something that I really want to reiterate. For people of color, particularly Black people in the workplace, Having our stories told and having diversity, equity, inclusion mean more than just having one employee in who's a person of color or black in your office is important. That means you're going to remove the variables that are going to make them feel uncomfortable and have their daily jobs difficult to do. I know as a former corporate slave that it was difficult being the only one. And um, so we need to create environments just like in school with our kids. You know, we want the best education for our children. So some of us who are in a position to do that, send our kids to the greatest schools that have the reputation as greatest schools and um, education. But unfortunately, that variable of racism and non-inclusion is ever persistent. If we want to live in a more emotionally intelligent world, we're going to have to create space and actually make it not like abnormal, make it a part of a normal experience for everybody to just be, feel included, just to feel a part of the, the world because we are, we're all in this together. And I think one of the things that we have and colonialism has done is othered people too much to our detriment. I often wonder what would it be like if colonialism never hit our shores all over the world? If, you know, the Brits, the Dutch, the Portuguese would have just stayed in their own place and other countries did their own thing. What advancements would have happened? What advancements wouldn't have happened? What types of business deals would have been done where it was more equitable for the people of those places. Hmm. It's something to ponder. And I know that we live in this reality of us against them and all this other stress that has to do with a mental illness called racism. It is always about profit though. People profit off of racism. People profit off of division. People profit off of us not liking ourselves. So if we want to change our society, our world, ourselves, we're going to have to look at the macro and the micro. The macro of the reality affects the micro of your reality and vice versa. So 
let's work in duality because that's, we have no choice in it. And let's see things from a bigger perspective rather than a small one. And let's hold, embrace each other to heal because the healing process is not a process that turns you into a Zen Buddhist monk. It actually allows you to love every single layer of your self, including the flaws. And therefore, you can love and everybody else with their flaws until we end up working and becoming more emotionally intelligent and caring and empathetic with each other. We are in the beginning of a very vast awakening. And I'm really happy that people like Dr. Yazid is doing the work that she is doing within the workplace because our workplace is a part of our personal life as well. I know we like to divide it, but if you had a bad day at work, you're going to take that home, right? And if you wake up in the morning with a smile on the face, you're going to take that to work. So let's stop the division and separation and realize it's all one big ball of unity. And thank you for listening. I hope you have a blessed day. Mm-hmm.